Broadcasting live from the Themyscira X Games, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Ricardo, what's up? I legit almost <laughs> laughed again when you said X Games, but... I'm glad, Seamus, that you came up with that and you're just so delighted by your own <laughs> joke. <laughs> I really am. You know, we'll talk about that when we get to our main segment for today, Wonder Woman 1984. And before we get into our news today, we just wanted to extend our sincere well wishes to John Mulaney and his loved ones for the hard time they're going through right now. And we're just thinking about them and hoping for the best for them. Well put, Seamus. Thank you. All right, on to news. First up, this is one that I imagine Ricardo is both excited about and doesn't really care about, considering how many box sets of bad things he's already got. (laughs) Coming January 2021 to HBO Max are Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond. Rad. I'm pumped for that. We had some great times watching some very choice Batman the Animated Series episodes, and it'll be glad to have them all at my fingertips now. And I've only ever had the VHS of the Batman Beyond beginning stuff, so... This will be maybe my first time going to go back through to watch it all. Batman Beyond, I've only ever seen uh, the Return of the Joker movie. Great movie, though. I watched a lot of Batman Beyond when I was a kid, but I've seen a pretty limited amount of the animated series, so I'm thinking that I might as well go back, hit the animated series, and then do Batman Beyond. Ricardo, I know you've got the Blu-ray of the animated series, so you're probably not so excited, but I... I'm excited to hear your thoughts on Beyond. I'm assuming you'll check it out. Yeah, back in the day when I was a kid, I didn't really watch Beyond because in my little kid brain, I was like, that's not Batman. I want to watch Batman. <laughs> but but yeah, I think I'd, I definitely, I think I'd like it more now. Speaking of uh, the animated series, that's what I'm doing currently. Like every night before bed, I'll pop on a few episodes, making my way through the whole series. That's great. This seems to me like the final, final nail in the coffin for DC Universe, not that it wasn't already dead. That used to be the only home to stream Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, now they gotta bring over all the other ones. Give me Static Shock. Give me Justice League Unlimited. I feel like those have to be coming, especially since even DC Universe exclusives like Doom Patrol are on HBO Max now. They'll make their way there, I'm sure. And, I mean, God knows when the actual release of the new Batman movie is going to be. I mean, everything has been pushed back forever, and it just kind of keeps tumbling down. So maybe this will be a good fix for Batman stuff. WB is moving all their stuff to HBO Max. You might see Batman sooner than you think. We'll see you when the lawsuits settle out. I don't even know how that stuff's going <laughs> oh, right no. now. So <laughs> Next piece of news. Indie darling A24 distributed Minari has been snubbed by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association by not being nominated for a Best Picture category by the Golden Globes, instead being relegated to Best Foreign Language Film despite being produced, starring, and taking place in America. Their reasoning being that most of the film is not in English. So, a lot of controversy swirling around that. They're getting pretty universal backlash from people in the industry calling it racism and calling it out for being a double standard when other films have been featured that are in, you know, European languages. Yeah, man, as they should. I'm gonna have to agree, and even just thinking about, like, the most incredible movie of last year 
that swept the Oscars, of course, being Parasite. It almost makes me wonder to the point that, you know, another movie that was actually made in South Korea that is predominantly in Korean, Parasite sweeping so many awards last year, it almost makes me wonder if that was a subconscious reason that this was relegated to what is generally considered a lower profile category despite being one of the best reviewed films of the year it's kind of blowing my mind that they could look at a piece like this and like make such a harsh it's just kind of showing how worried they might feel that all of the best pieces of art that they're seeing might not be coming from america in english they're like, oh, we can't have like Koreans win two America years in a row. first. That's a quote That's... from the Golden Globes. We can't have too many amazing pieces of Korean art that like inspire and show how American film industries need to like step their game up. Like, we can't have that two years but, in a row. Especially when this is an American movie made by yeah, Americans. That makes exactly. it so yeah, much more confusing. Thing that's really... And then our last bit of news is that there is a new Firefly comic in the works from Boom Studios, which have been making the Firefly comics since Disney took over Fox, taking over from Dark Horse, who did the Firefly comics when they were under Fox's jurisdiction. This new series follows an all-new crew aboard Serenity 20 years after the events of the film. So I'm really excited to check it out. They brought in some new writers that... Sounds like they're going to do a better job respecting the source material than the other writers that have been writing these Boom comics have been doing. And I don't want to get too much into it because I know Seamus still hasn't watched Firefly, but mm. I'll definitely be excited to talk about this on the show whenever these drop. So it's kind of I mean, like a, a soft comic reboot. Yes, it makes me wonder if last week we debated whether or not to cover the rumor going around that there's going to be a more kid-friendly Disney Plus Firefly reboot. Which is a bad and... idea. Why would you do that? <laughs> well, I do wonder if they're taking this route of having it be a younger generation 20 years after the events of the movie. It could be interesting to see, you know, you could have characters from the series and the film still show up from time to time, but still do a different take on it. I'm wondering if this is them testing the waters to see if there is a market with Firefly fans for a potential series. Mandalorian has shown us that Disney is more than happy to put adult-quality, action-oriented space westerns on their channel, so I think yeah, there's a right? little bit of an overreaction from the Firefly community in that regard. But then it, the, the phrasing of it is a little weird. The phrasing of it is a little weird because it's coming from a notoriously unreliable news source with an undisclosed source at or close to Disney+. Plus. Like, it's like absolute nonsense news, which is why we didn't cover it last week, is because it's completely unreliable. So I think, though, that this does lend some credence to the possibility of them rebooting at Disney+. Plus. I'm not opposed to a reboot. I'd give it a shot. I think if they're coming back fresh and... If they're coming back really well, maybe we should think about checking these out for the show. Maybe we could finally do our first comic episode, and there would be no excuses for me to not see this show that I've only been told legends about, so. This is the perfect excuse for us to do an episode on Firefly and Serenity, and finally get would, you caught up. God, I would love to, just say the word. 
So it's coming in March. It's called Firefly, a brand new verse. Which, get it, that's kind of cute because verse is what they call the universe, but also it's like a new verse, like, in the song that is, you know, the Ballad of Serenity. Homonyms. Shiny. Hey, this guy gets it. Okay, should we move on to Wonder Woman 1984? Let's do it. <laughs> I hate that I get to hear that song. Like, you're doing it perfect. I like the music. It's a great remix of the Spy Kids theme. Am I crazy? You are not. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Pedro Pascal coming to We Can Be Heroes soon. Wonder Woman 1984, now streaming on HBO Max and in theaters if you want to do that for some reason. If you dare. Let's start off, no spoilers, general thoughts, gets worse (laughs) as it goes? Yeah, yeah it does. I think the opening sequence on Themyscira is way too long, but I think the second action sequence, actually in 1984, is really solid, and it just kind of steadily declines in quality and tone actually the tone shifts wildly as it progresses yeah i think we kind of mentioned it before the difference of just the feelings between the first wonder woman and this new one is just like the wildest departure from what they were going for and i do like the first wonder woman but i found myself getting a little bored again just kind of like in justice league the first time i saw that Oh, yeah, most definitely. Oh Way God, too long. Yeah. I think they were trying to go for like a, a Silver Age kind of vibe, which I, I'm down for if you do it, you know, well. But yeah, you're right. It does just the more it goes on, just like, oh, man, it's a slog. My take on this movie is that it was really going for being an 80s movie and it hit it too well on the head. Because it has a lot of the things I like about 80s movies, but it also has a lot of the problems that I have with 80s movies, which are the pacing's really slow, and a lot of it could have been cut. It has caricatured kind of racist antagonists. Not the main villains, but, like, the way this movie treats Middle Eastern people is not super good. Yeah, I, Um, I know what you mean. But it also does have that kind of swashbuckling, Indiana Jones-esque action. I think the action sequences are still really good. Going up to the third act, I think the action sequences are good. Yeah, you touched on, it's just, it's too long, really. They could have been, like, 45 minutes shorter, even. Easily. You know, this is a lot, maybe going more into spoilers, but the stakes of this movie are not, you know? Like, there are none, really. The second I was in that, I was kind of like, all right, well, we know what happens with her future for through, you know, the other Snyder movies. We know what happened in the past. This is, it felt like a weird throwaway bottle episode almost because I knew it wasn't going to matter. The problem is I think that it inflates its stakes far too rapidly. Every time there's a stakes raise, it doesn't really feel earned. It just feels like the movie stumbling into a new set of rules that it's made for itself. It's kind of the Sorry. same way with character, because this isn't too much of a spoiler, but Barbara Minerva, I think, is way misused in this movie. I think Kristen Wiig, and I do not usually like Kristen Wiig, kind of, period, but Whoa. I think she's actually pretty good. I think she is specifically channeling Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. She wasn't She wasn't doing Jamie Foxx's Electro? Well, is that and that's not what thing. was happening? It's written like Jamie Foxx's Electro. I think that... It is 
a better performed character than it is a... That's also the case for Pedro Pascal's character in this film. That's definitely the case for... It's in the first trailer. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. Light spoiler for a character who is in this movie. Steve Trevor, as played by Chris Pine, is far better performed than he is written. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I think this movie is totally inconsistent, bloated, but still has some things that are worth watching. Namely, the performances and the action. Yeah, you'll be glad you caught this at home. I don't know how I would have felt if I like watched this in a theater. Especially because some of the compositing is really bad. Like, the green screen in some of these shots. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think you both just described every DC movie in the last however many years. I think this is better than most DC movies. I'll say you that. You know what? I think, like... Okay, that's fair. It's... I think it suffers from a lot of the same stuff the other ones do, but I would watch this over Man of Steel any day. In a lot of ways, it is a better Superman movie than Man of yeah, Steel. You know, it yeah. is definitely... Ricardo, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead with your Google Doc here, but I had the same thought that is it is very tonally in line with like a Richard Donner Superman movie. Yeah, very light, uh, heavy on the, the cheesiness. I'm getting so many things I want to talk about in spoilers. I guess that's I'll have to wait until the dam breaks. I mean, we've said what we have to say about this movie. If you enjoyed the first Wonder Woman, I still would encourage you to watch this movie because I think there's enough in it to warrant it. I do think you will get bored. It's maybe a movie, and I hate to be this guy, it's maybe a movie that you have on while you're doing something else and watch when it interests you. That's, like, the perfect way to watch this movie. I guess before we move into spoilers, double feature suggestions, guys? Well, besides the first one... uh... Yeah, like we said before, like the Richard Donner Superman, they've got a very similar tone. They're clearly going for that sort of style. I think that's my pick too, Ricardo. In my mind, when I was watching this, I just couldn't get, and maybe it's because I just got a <laughs> Blu-ray copy of this for Christmas, but I I felt so much Edward Nigma energy from Kristen Wiig. <laughs> of just like, the oh, my hair's yeah. messy. I'm obsessed with the boss who i want to be my best friend and then i'm evil once i have powers so i'm going batman forever glasses yeah the glasses pull the spider-man move and get her vision better that's very fair because i think also like batman returns wouldn't be a bad contender oh yeah exactly like you were saying before with all of the michelle pfeiffer energy in that you could also watch the old linda carter show which is on hbo max now oh yes it is i actually didn't know that was on hbo max now all right, uh, this is our official spoiler warning for Wonder Woman 1984. Spoiler warning, yes. We touched on Pedro Pascal and his character. Who else did not care about his family struggles and his son? Oh my goodness, <laughs> they didn't ask us to care. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Why do they think they earned that? Well, they, they definitely ask us to care uh, when they're reunited towards the end of the movie, and it's supposed to be like kind of an emotional moment between him and his son, but it is just nothing his son just that looks like nothing like him that is also true yeah but just like the first wonder woman it has the problem of its third act is bad because it has huge problems with its first act that it doesn't do the legwork to set up that relationship well enough for us to be invested in it also there are weird beats where like, when the kid says he wishes for his dad's greatness, and, like, the wind goes, 
I thought maybe he was inheriting the wish power yeah. or whatever, but no, that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, nothing changes, right? He just keeps doing his insane wish granting yeah, stuff. Yeah, it doesn't. Let's get into this magic wishing rock. Now, I'm cool with the wishing rock because, <laughs> like, this movie has gods and stuff. If this movie had the character work to back up that premise. I'm cool with it just because it's gods. Like, the whole thing is gods in the Wonder Woman lore. Ares starting World War One in the first Wonder Woman. I can get behind there's a <laughs> diamond that lets me wish for one wish. like Or two wishes, depending I'm, on the rules. That's my issue. I don't have really a problem with The Rock. Do what you want. It's like, what are the rules? What? Yeah, it's I, so inconsistent. I lose track about what this thing can and can't do. Yeah, he, he's, like, asking people, like, oh, did I already get your wish yesterday? And he's like, yeah, sure, but then he offers multiple wishes to people, right? He offers Kristen Wiig another wish after she's already... No, but he's saying that he can use his power to benefit her. Oh, like those Just, weird that he, deals reason, he's making are going to her instead of him. Exactly, because he found the loophole that lets you wish for a million more wishes. By wishing to become the wishing thing... He gets to choose what the consequences are for a person's wish. Now, whose wish he used to turn her into a cat from the Cats? movie Cats? Yeah. <laughs> I do not know. Didn't even try to look like any sort of intimidating. It's just a cat from the musical. It's bad. It just is bad. I think Kristen Wiig's doing a pretty good job for most of this movie, but she can't act through that terrible mocap like yeah man you could barely yeah. even tell it's her in the close-ups with like the prosthetic nose and stuff mm-hmm. while we're talking about cheetah barbara minerva patty what are you doing you can't have your characters do their arc through magic yeah i guess i it's so weird it took me back on the rules again it took me a while to figure out what was even happening because they call that stone fake at the beginning maybe i wasn't like paying attention already but like it goes back on that and it's real and by the time she was like powerful and like kicking that drunk guy to death i was kind of i was finally realizing all the stuff that was happening i guess and i know by that time i didn't care about that character as much as i thought i would to be like that's bs this nice character shouldn't be doing this through magic Especially because that guy deserves it, but that's, like, none of my business. But then she turned um, on her homeless friend. That hurt. She's a good person. See, she fed that one homeless guy. Oh, and then she turns on him real quick. Don't you feel bad now? She's, oh, she, she's evil. She's so bad. My bigger issues with the quote-unquote rules of the stone are these. One, why did we have to go through all the nonsense with Steve Trevor quantum leaping into that one guy? When it's clear that, that like... This stone is just making things appear. It can make a ton of nukes out of thin air. A big wall It can turn Kristen Wiig into a weird cheetah person. Why can't it just bring back Steve Trevor instead of making him into this weird guy that then they have a weird moment at the end of the movie? Did not care for that at all. I was it so made, mad. It brought I'm up d- so many pointless questions about the way it works. And it distracted from the overall character work going into the relationship between Diana and Steve Trevor. Which, again, I, I talked earlier about how this movie is like the ultimate throwback 80s movie. 
for better or for worse. And one thing I do like about this movie is that it takes its characters and their emotions seriously in a way that movies usually do not now, especially superhero movies, in that it lets the characters want things and be sad about things. I think, actually, the scene where she realizes that he's back is very emotionally effective. Yeah, you mean at, like, at the gala party? Yeah. I could not work past the quantum leap thing. I don't know what it is about it that is just deep in my soul just like irked me just like i got so mad for something not that all that important because it's bad writing it makes the story more bloated they had to hire a whole other guy for no reason one other thing that i kept thinking of was like if there was no big cataclysmic like wish granting apocalypse they would have just stolen that guy's life there was no hesitation for them to be like wait a minute there was a man living here with a life Chris Pine just goes like, ah, I guess I'm some kind of engineer, sure. And like, they're just like, well, we'll steal this guy's whole body if it means that he can be alive again. On top of that, I don't think that the themes that are supposed to be justifying the magic of the rock are really working. Like, when you buy into something like the magic of Harry Potter... There's certain understandings you have about the analogies with with love and friendship going on, right? This gets so muddled with, it's a wishing rock, but really it's a lying rock, but really it's a monkey's paw, but so the lasso of truth can overpower it, but not really, but you have to rescind your wish. But, like, there's no clear thematic analogies being made to, like, lying versus wishing versus truth versus desire versus love. And even Steve Trevor talks about that in the movie. Is it supposed to be like a greed thing? Seems like that for Pedro Pascal's character, whose name I can't remember, even though they say it a lot. Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord, Lord, yeah. But like you said, he's like just kind of tricking people into saying the words I wish without... Like that intern didn't really want a Porsche that badly, I'm sure. He's just like trying to get people to... Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, It was frustrating to say the least. In an effort to be timely and speak to contemporary themes, the movie attempts to conflate greed and lying, which definitely have a correlation to them and could be combined into a compelling villain, especially for the 1980s, but doesn't really do the work to show you how those things work together with the stone. It doesn't make sense. The themes themselves... No, you, you try to sense. think about them and you just get tangled in nonsense because that's what most of that movie is. I think that they bit off more than they could chew if it had been a smaller stakes story where they focused more on Pedro Pascal and his son and trying to build up his empire without getting the president and the Cold War <laughs> oh involved. Oh my god. That maybe it wouldn't have mattered so much. But it's just too ambitious and trying to cover too much ground for the quality of the writing. Oh, God. Why is she trying to keep a secret identity despite not wearing <clears throat> well, yeah, a mask for the... and being clearly visible to, like, I hundreds d- of I, people? I will not tolerate this discussion when we do the Like, every superhero movie now, nobody wears a mask unless you're Spider-Man. I will not tolerate this. Why does Clark Kent keep his secret identity when he doesn't change his appearance at all but she intentionally takes out cameras 
That is the least of my concerns. I thought it was weird. Like, she doesn't normally have one of those. Not in, in like, the Prince? modern comics, anyway. She... Well, it... But that... No, that tradition is as old as Wonder Woman herself. You look at the old comics, you look at the old TV show. I'm not up on my current Wonder Woman stuff, but usually Diana Prince is her alter ego. She usually works for Steve Trevor, though, so, like, usually she's Steve Trevor's secretary. That's not my Oh, God. But, like, that's part of the character as much as it is part of Superman's character. That's true. That's true. I feel like, in, in a similar vein of that, though, it's like she's trying to protect an ide- a secret identity to live a normal life to, like, kind of be at peace in some kind of way where she doesn't have to be out there all the time. But I thought there was going to be some kind of big but event I- with all the wishing at the end where she does her big broadcast that would, like, you know, snap change everything back to normal instantly and everybody would forget about what happened and Wonder Woman wouldn't have directly spoken to every single person on the planet. And But now I just feel weird about the implications of she's trying to preserve an identity and also save the world in a way that nobody talks about like that one time that a giant wall came out of nowhere and divided Cairo in the future. Batman's not like, oh, is that yeah, you it's... from 1984? I fully yeah. bought into the whole, you know what? DC, we're we're in the multiverse now. Nothing matters. Any inconsistency, it happened in another dimension. Yeah, that's fine Screw with it, me, I'm too. in. I agree. But I think, Ricardo, to your point about her secret identity, it is interesting that it does so much to set up that, you know, she doesn't have a life, really, outside of Wonder Woman-ing and her work at the museum. It would have been interesting to see Steve Trevor, who is spending this entire movie trying to convince her to move on from him. He doesn't even bring that up. He doesn't bring up why do you have the secret identity that you're protecting if you don't have a life that you're living. That would have been great. You should have wrote this you movie, know, it's like, it's That's a like... very good point. That that should have been brought up. Speaking of Chris Pine and his whole deal, I was watching this with my sister, and the whole time she was just like, she's been hung up on this one dude for over 60 years? Girl needs therapy. She also slipped in, I'll never love anyone again, right before... <laughs> Like, the weekend they spent together ends. She's just like, yep, I'll never love anybody again. She never did. Don't she and Bruce Wayne flirt a lot in those other movies? Am I misremembering that? I mean, that's also 30 years after this movie. She said, never love anyone again, Garrett. (laughs) Again. (laughs) And he says back to her, I pray that's not true, Seamus. Eh, well, whatever. She's She's been doing it long enough. Before I keep forgetting... Invisible Jet, so we don't go the whole episode with talking about the Invisible Jet. Yeah. For everyone at home, we've been talking a lot of smack. We're going to actually talk about something we liked about this movie. The Invisible Jet. They just walk onto an airstrip and steal a jet, but whatever. It's fine. I don't care. Since Diana works for the Smithsonian, she is able to access the assets of the Air and Space Museum. And also, since it's the 80s, I'm more cool with her being able to just walk wherever she needs to go. Like, security was more lax. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, and it was in the, the 80s, 80s than no it is one, now. You could do literally anything whenever you wanted to. <laughs> oh, the 80s. Um, All the action sequences in this film do a really good job of establishing the rules of the action sequence, establishing the geography of the action sequence, and then escalating the stakes. And this is no exception. You get in the plane... You understand what the goal is, where they're trying to go, and that Trevor is excited to fly his new toy. Then, you cut to the air traffic control tower. That is in play. 
you understand that they have radar and that they are aware that the plane is moving. Then, shortly after Diana is able to recognize the fact that radar is in play, then you have the jet scrambled. The stakes keep getting escalated in a way that makes sense from the previous thing that just happened. And that's good action writing. To the point where the invisibility cloak around Themyscira, which we already have established is in Wonder Woman's power set, she is able to manipulate into being the invisible jet, simultaneously, like, doing fan service well and making it relevant to the problems that the characters are facing in the moment. Yeah, I I don't know. It, it felt like one of the only genuine moments of, like, <laughs> me enjoying this. Just really just, like, kind of smiling, but like, oh, damn, they actually kind of... They went with something that might have been a little weirder to fit in in a lot of ways, but they did it mm-hmm. so well, like you were saying, that it just... It didn't feel like... It didn't feel like the lazy fan service they could have done, and it still gave me a little you know, ping in my brain of like, oh, I get the reference. This is this is actually enjoyable. I never thought I'd get to see the Invisible Jet in a big budget live action movie. And they managed to do it in a clever way. So I'll give them that. And also them flying through the fireworks yeah. is just charming. Like I enjoyed it. It's also a Christmas movie. Oh, that was hilarious. End. That the forced Christmas release scene right at the end felt so awkward. Do you think that was a tack on well, I mean, for the home release? I imagine they've been retooling this for all the amount of extra time they've had and ended a summer 4th of July release with a Christmas stinger. It kind of makes sense just because it's a time jump because you know it's been however many months and the world is getting back to normal and it and Christmas is a recognizable thing. It was just to bring back up the dude whose life they stole again. Yeah, that's a weird thing that they bring him back. That didn't need to be... That scene did feel really awkward to me, especially it didn't feel like the end of the movie at all. Like, there was no closure. And I think part of the problem is we don't really get closure. Steve Trevor leaves very Mm. abruptly because that's the point of that character is that she needs to sacrifice being with him to go save the world. But we don't get closure on what happens with Cheetah, because she's still alive. I almost forgot. They didn't establish anybody else for her to really play off of at the end of the movie, so it's just kind of her walking around enjoying the world, which doesn't feel very climactic. Because there is a a good little after-credit, mid-credit stinger with your girl Linda Carter. Absolutely, yeah, that was a good bit, because I kept thinking whenever she said, I tried to find her, but all I could find was her armor. I'm like, oh, okay, so she's running around somewhere. Yeah, they could have ended it with kind of a little, maybe not like a team-up. Maybe a team-up? I don't know. That'd be fun. Linda Carter will return. That's an interesting question. Do you think that that is a setup for that character to return, or do you think that it's just a nice little bit of fan service? Por que no <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's an interesting <laughs> idea to have that go around, and if anything is going to get me interested, then I might as well throw it into the ring. Because, like I said, I'm not quite interested in probably ever seeing this movie ever again. Let's briefly discuss, I guess. Obviously, this movie gets its name partially from 1984, the George Orwell novel. And I just want to briefly touch on, because we were talking about this before the show, I felt like part of the reason that this movie's themes were so muddled is they were trying to force in justification for why this movie is called that with the manipulation of media and technology and the idea of objective truth versus objective lies. Yeah, I definitely thought we were going to be getting hit over that. I thought, like, the enemy was going to be, like, a 
big brother type and not like a magic genie type, but maybe that's why I felt like we didn't get enough of that, but I definitely do see where you're coming from with like the difference between say the super limited technology of World War 1 versus this you know, we don't know what she's really been doing in between that time, so it is interesting to see how they work that kind of threat in. But yeah, I think we're ready to move on. Alright boys, we're gonna stick talking with Wonder Woman just a little bit longer because our pop culture reference for this week is the monkey's paw. And the reason we're doing that is because the idea of the monkey's paw is a central tenant and even referenced in Wonder Woman 1984. So the monkey's paw is an original short story by W.W. Jacobs, written in 1902. And in the story, the owner of this paw is granted three wishes, but the wishes, as a consequence of interfering with fate, have some kind of dark twist that impacts you negatively in unexpected ways. And you see this trope pop up a lot, and basically the entire point is, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's definitely, like, the general moral of any kind of monkey's paw-inspired stories. You'll find it all over pop culture. Definitely a big one. An early one that I knew it from was The Simpsons. has a very classic monkey's paw episode. And, like you said, kind of the entire plot revolves around that monkey's paw set of rules in Wonder Woman. And, I mean, you see it not explicitly referenced as a monkey's paw. The one I think about all the time is the Twilight Zone episode, Time Enough at Last. Which, if you haven't seen that episode, just go watch it and stop listening <laughs> to me talk. But it's about a guy who, he has a sad life, and he's downtrodden, and he's always trying to read. His boss is cruel to him and doesn't let him read, and his wife doesn't let him read. And he works at this bank, and he's down on his lunch break in the vault, reading when nuclear Armageddon happens. And finally, he's got all the time in the world to read, and he breaks his eyeglasses. But that's not fair. There was time now. (laughs) So that's a classic example, like you said, Seamus, of a monkey's paw that isn't, like, you know, he's not actually wishing on a monkey's paw, but he is making this wish that's getting twisted beyond what he wanted. Yeah, it's just, like, ironic consequences to not-so-thought-out desires that get you. That's why maybe I also had a little gripe with the wishes in Wonder Woman, because they didn't seem quite so ironic when they were being twisted back. Pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop quiz. Quiz, 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 quiz. Seamus, you want me to put that in after your pop pop quiz? You're just going to layer on recordings of me doing impromptu songs to just one day win a Grammy for. Last week, I'm just going to excise from the record in general because we called it a draw, so we're going to revert to the week previous. You guys are still tied 3-3 three to three, with Seamus having won the last point. So, Ricardo, it is your turn to pick the category. Either the Golden Globes or Wonder Woman. And let's go Wonder Woman. You guys know the rules. The first one of you to give the correct answer gets the point. If you guys say it at the exact same time, or neither of you can come up with the correct answer, we move on to the other category as a tiebreaker. Alright, here is your pop quiz question for Wonder Woman. Pedro Pascal is the main antagonist in the new movie Wonder Woman 1984, but what was the other time 
that Pedro Pascal has acted in a Wonder Woman property. 2011, the failed Wonder Woman CW pilot. Wow! There you go, Ricardo. I for good forgot about son. that show. Holy crap. You had that locked and loaded, Salgado. How? Yeah, that's Ricardo's point. So now he is in the lead, 4-3. to three. Seamus, you better watch out. I, re- I really have to. Yeah, man, I'm one step closer to getting that PS5. Ooh. We gotta really come up with a different <laughs> Every week joke, it's like, guys. <laughs> but seriously, I don't, we need I don't to think not joke about taking my PS5. I can't believe it's already time, boys, but who's ready to save the rec center? Let's do it. Since I've been back home for the holidays, I've been watching a lot of great Christmas classics, and... I don't know why it gets me every time I watch it. Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye in White Christmas is just the classic of classics. And, you know, some of those old Christmas movies, I'm not going to name names which one. They get a little dry. They're a little boring sometimes. But this one is just the most entertaining piece of Christmas old school media ever. It's all about, like, Hollywood showbiz and how that works its way into you know, Christmas, and it's genuinely just the weirdest plot that you never remember how weird it is, because it makes no sense, because it was from, like, a hundred years ago, but it's fantastic. I will not have general wavingly disrespected on this <laughs> Come podcast, on, man, you know Seamus. there's insane plot holes that make no sense. I will not have general we'll wavingly disrespected the old man wherever he wants podcast. to go. <laughs> I don't know all the words to that, but... I have already sat through your It's a Wonderful Life sub tweet. I will not permit this to go any further. Oh, what do you... In a very similar vein, Seamus, this is one of my most recent Christmas rewatches. I will not dub it a Christmas movie because I don't want to get into a stupid semantic debate. But I did watch it on Christmas Eve. It's how I rung in Christmas Day. All-time classic. Ricardo, this is specifically directed at you. Die Hard. I'm not going to get into a fight with you. It's a Christmas movie. We talk about it all the time on this show, and I watch it pretty much every year. I love it to death. It is astounding how good the screenplay is. Like, I truly am mesmerized by the fact that it's a masterclass in screenwriting. Everything is so tight, it's so good, and so funny. The thing that I really picked up on this time is how good the editing is, is that that movie could really feel stumbly and flat, especially with its mix of comedy and action, if the editing were not so expertly executed. Honestly, one of my favorite movies of that era, so, and of all time. It's it's such a great powerhouse action flick, and God damn it, you watch it any holiday you want, especially Christmas. I watched this Whoa, a couple days for ago. the first time? I tried watching it, I think, last year, but it was two in the morning and I fell asleep. Ricardo, we're going to do a full episode on it someday, but I got to hear your initial thoughts. Oh, I enjoyed yeah, that. Good. I thought it was really fun. One of my all-time favorites, I've been recently revisiting it, Futurama. I decided to put it on randomly for some background noise, and then I just got really like hooked back into it. And just remembering all the my favorite episodes and just re- really kind of taking into just how funny that show was. It's just just like the writing is so clever there's a there's jokes upon jokes all right i think that wraps us up for this year of 2020 
for pop culture reference. Everybody, let us know how many times you'll be watching Rudolph's <laughs> Shiny New Year between now and the end of the year. It's probably at least five. Christ. I know it is for me. But yeah, next week we'll be coming back with Disney Pixar's Soul, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So if you want to get caught up, make sure you watch that. If you want to reach the podcast, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Send us an email at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Make sure to interact with us on whatever platform you're listening on. Subscribe and give us a like on YouTube. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. Anything you can do really helps the show out. But until then, we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos. Bye-bye.